Hey Josh, where are you heading today? Oh hey Danny, I'm just gonna go enjoy a relaxing day at the beach, you know. What's that thing you got on your ankle? Oh that? That's my handy dandy leg knife. You don't have one? Um, I do not. Well, it's all the rage of the lifeguards here at Baywatch. And besides, there's always a net to escape from, or possibly a convict on the loose, or, you know, all the dangerous sea life that's in the water. It's uh, always best to be prepared. All right, Boy Scout. Welcome to Hot Red Shorts, a gay watch of Baywatch. Two gay guys talking about Baywatch one episode at a time, more or less at random. I'm Josh. I'm Denny. And today we are going to be talking about Baywatch Season 4, Episode 6, Tentacles. Ooh. Yeah, who doesn't love some nice tentacles? Uh, and uh, just some notes up front. I uh, might sound a little weird. I'm recovering from a pretty bad sinus infection. And uh, Denny's only had two drinks. So <laughs> we'll see how this goes. But uh, anyway, on to our episode. Today's episode, it aired in October of 1993. Somewhere between the 18th and the 23rd, and this is something I was meaning to bring up with you, Denny, uh, since this was a syndicated show, it could have aired at any time, more or less. For me, I seem to remember Baywatch always being a Saturday show, but the dates that I'm coming up with are generally a Monday, which I don't remember Baywatch being on Monday. How about you? No, definitely not. Yeah, exactly. So from now on, uh, when I cite the things that are going to be happening at the time contemporaneously, it's going to be in that week range, which really makes sense because, you know, whatever. Anyway, far away 1993 wasn't really all that different from now. There was major unrest within Russia happening in October. Boris Yeltsin, the first president of the country, disbanded the parliament and called for new elections in the previous September, leading to a showdown between those lawmakers and the president. Eventually, a new constitution was signed, leading to the current powers that a president has in Russia. When did Putin come into power? He was behind the scenes for a really long time because he worked in the KGB. Yeah. And so that's sort of, people were aware of him for a while. And I think it was around Bush 2 era okay. when he came into office. But Are we still Bush 1 era right now? No, actually, this is the first year of Bill Clinton's okay. presidency. We're going to be a little stumbly uh, today. It's been a while since we've recorded, too, uh, but we'll, we'll get back into the swing of things. In terms of technology, in October of 1993, the computer game Myst had just been released the previous month, which I was attempting to play on my home computer. It wasn't quite the hardware that was necessary, plus I didn't have the patience to go from empty room to empty room over and over yeah, I was more of a console person. I never really played much games on computers. So I remember seeing it at Best Buy all the time. Just never knew anything about it. The box art is permanently burned into my brain. And probably everybody's that, like you say, went to Babbage's, I guess, was the store back then. or Never heard of Babbage's. No, it was one of those mall-based uh, electronic stores, I believe before GameStop. But uh, anyway, Intel released their first Pentium processor this year in March. That's Intel, the computer inside with Windows NT debuting in July. Though my family stuck with Windows 3.1. We weren't exactly cutting edge by any means. Besides, I was crashing the computer on a monthly basis, <laughs> uh, just trying to uh, push the limits. But uh, in case you were using the internet, and not just AOL, you might have been using the first freely available web browser, which was called Mosaic. Uh, we were an AOL family. Yeah. Welcome. And plus, you were 
nine. Eight. You were eight in 1993. Let's hope you weren't on the nascent internet. Uh, maybe, yeah, we were an AOL family too. But eventually Microsoft would license the software, the Mosaic browser, and use it to create their Internet Explorer in 1995. Goodbye. In music news, your favorite, Mariah Carey had the number one oh, song. God. Dream Lover. And then October 18th, 1993, she released her single Hero. I don't get the appeal. I really don't. Hey, she's not for everybody. <laughs> She was followed on the Billboard charts by Xscape, you gotta love the 90s, with Just Kicking It. And then Meatloaf was at number three with I Do Anything For Love, But I Won't Do That. Did we ever find out what that one thing was? I think you and I both know. Anal. <laughs> <laughs> but most importantly, who cares about that music? Number four on the charts, your favorite and mine, Ace of Bass with the sign. Yes! That was probably the very first CD I had, and I wore that thing out. I remember my, because I wasn't into music at this time, but I remember my sister had the album, and she was playing that song a whole lot. It took me probably 20 years to listen to the entire album, because I just listened to the sign and <laughs> all that she wants over and over and over again. But it was pretty great. At the movies, the top three films of the box office this particular weekend, when, when uh, this episode aired. Number three, The Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. Number two, Demolition Man. I really like that movie. It's a lot of fun. Plus, you get to see Sylvester Stallone almost naked. Yes. You get a nice butt shot and you can pretend you see something in the front. Was that a butt double, though? Who cares? It's a nice <laughs> butt one way or the other. You really licked his ass. But number one at the box office, The Beverly Hillbillies. I never saw that movie. Really? Really. And the list is growing because it co-stars Lily Tomlin. Okay. And she's fantastic, as always, but she's particularly good as the banker's assistant. I forget her name, but... Cease and desist! Everyone! If I were you, sir, I would yield, submit, and capitulate. Anyway, it's not a great movie. I'd much prefer something like the Brady Bunch remake and things. But anyway, this week on television, October 1993, Roseanne was the most watched show in the country. Now, interesting thing about this is I didn't watch Roseanne when I was younger, but my best friend Brenna, she loved the show and I never understood it because her parents wouldn't let her watch like cartoons like Rocco's Modern Life because they said it was too crass. But then you used to get something like Roseanne and Roseanne is a pretty crass show. So it didn't, never really made sense to me. I don't know, Danny, maybe this belies your white bread roots. Maybe your family had a little bit more money than mine because the Connors were a really nice picture of what uh, we considered normal life to be like. <laughs> you know, struggling from bill to bill, uh, you know, constant domestic squabbles, you know, the family always coming at each other, but ultimately loving each other. But we, we loved the show in my, in my house. I mean, I love it now, don't get me wrong. Well, thank goodness, that's a, a good thing to do. Following Roseanne in the ratings was Home Improvement and 60 Minutes. I was a big fan of Home Improvement. Yeah, that wasn't on in our house, but... Uh... Speaking of other things we didn't watch, the World Series was also on this week, dominating the ratings overall, but I didn't care then. Sports. I don't care now, exactly. But anyway, on Thursday of this week in particular, one of my very favorite episodes of The Simpsons first aired. Maybe this one might jog your memory. It was season five, episode four, Rosebud. Maggie ends up getting a hold of Mr. Burns' childhood teddy bear, Bobo, and he tries to get it back. Two plus two is four. Two. Give me my bear, Simpson. It's the soul-fast transit system. Give it to me. El yo-yo is grande. 
As you can see, Simpson, I have taken over all 78 channels. And you won't see any of your favorite shows again until you give in. And the best part of the whole thing, besides the fact an old man trying to steal a teddy bear from a, a little girl, is the ending, where they flash to the far distant future. And Mr. Burns is still around, but this time he's just a head in a jar on a robot body, and he's still looking for his beloved Bobo. And Smithers is there too, but he's a head in a robot dog. Wait for me, sir. I do not remember this episode at all. Man, there's so much for you to I know. dive back into. You waste all that time with games. Mm. Watch some shows. But who cares about that? We're going to move on now to our Baywatch basics for this episode. Baywatch Season 4, Episode 6, Tentacles. We have Mitch Buchanan, David Hasselhoff, as almost always. And his son, Hobie Buchanan. Hobie 2, Jeremy Jackson. He just appears very briefly. Then we have Summer Quinn, played by Nicole Eggert, and she happens to say that this is her favorite episode that they filmed, and we'll talk about why a little bit later. C.J. Parker, who we always love, Pamela Anderson is there. We have Jimmy Slade, professional surfer Kelly Slater, and this is unfortunately his last episode. Your big crush. Uh, it was a sad one, but we'll get to that. Matt Brody is in tow, David Chavere. Him and his lips, those beautiful lips. And we have Jackie Quinn. Come on. Summer's mom, played by Susan Anton, our favorite singer on the show, at least so far. And Garner Ellerby. Who we, also has just one line in this episode. Yes, while he wears his helmet, played by Gregory Allen Williams. But he did make a decent showing. So uh, let's uh, get right into our episode then. Well, we started off with a pretty lengthy uh, windsurfing montage. Yes. It's up about probably five, eight minutes of the episode. And it's a strange one, too. It, it doesn't tie into anything whatsoever at any point, except for Mitch, we see at the end of this montage, is working on his own uh, windsurfing thing, rig, whatever the hell you call that thing. Oh, I thought that was supposed to be like him and maybe someone else, like maybe newbie, like doing the surfing. Well, that's what, what comes up because Hobie comes over tossing a football to basically nobody. He's kind of playing by himself and he starts talking to his dad. Hey, dad! And they imply that, yes, in this montage that we have just watched for three minutes, Mitch was somewhere in there. Mitch was absolutely not in there. And quite frankly, I don't see how much windsurfing he can do in that oversized Adidas sweatsuit that he's wearing. <laughs> uh, it's pretty stylish, but it's not, he hasn't been in the water today. And I don't see him pulling those kind of tricks, to be perfectly honest. But then again, Mitch, Mitch, Mitch can surprise you. So. Mitch can do anything. That's true. That's true. I shouldn't challenge him. <laughs> well, Hobie is packed and he's ready to go off on a trip with his friend Landon, who we actually had at least heard about in a previous episode. I don't, don't recall if we met him or not. And they're enrolled in a bodyboarding competition, which is sponsored by A&W Cream Soda. Wait, I thought it was a boogie boarding competition. That's a really good question. What is the difference between a boogie board and a bodyboard? A boogie board, you actually have a board. Body boarding is body surfing is where you're just surfing just your body on the wave. See, now, when I looked it up, it seems that there's another distinction, because I thought the same thing. That, yeah, when you're just, like, skimming on your belly, that's, uh -huh. you know, body surfing. Yeah. But apparently there is a body surfboard that's a slightly different size and shape than a boogie board, and boogie board, I think, is some sort of trademarked thing. Okay. So, you know, all these nuances to surf people. Who knew? Yeah. But regardless, what was more important to me in this episode is the continual pushing of A&W. Trophy and all the A&W he can drink for a year. You better win because I love that cream soda. I did a little bit of research and season four apparently was actually sponsored by A&W, which explains why previously 
Scott Daniels had ordered a root beer float for Stephanie. We saw, we've seen A&W in the background here or there. And in this scene, Hobie's wearing this actually pretty cool A&W cream soda t-shirt with giant logos all over it. I, these are things I miss. I do not notice any of this. Oh, Denny, you, you got to have an eye for this because <laughs> not just that, Mitch is particularly jazzed because he's hoping that if Hobie wins, that he'll be getting some A&W cream soda. I love that cream soda. Anyway, th none of this comes to anything because Hobie's off. This is really just showing us that Mitch is going to be free this weekend. Nobody's really going to be looking for him. Hobie's going to be off. And as he leaves, he does a cartwheel, makes a very strange sort of cowabunga sort of sounding thing. And Mitch just looks like, I can't believe he's my son. <laughs> he grins at the end, but like there's a brief moment where he's like questioning his life choices. I think anyone in the same position might. Elsewhere on the beach, the episode automatically improves because Jimmy Slade is there, golden and stiff as a board, waxing his own surfboard. Now he and Matt are in a cove away from any crowds, one that apparently only Mitch knows about. Now they're here to determine who will get the chance to keep pursuing summer because apparently in this world, the men decide what happens to women. You know, this whole scene, all I kept thinking of Princess Jasmine from Aladdin. How dare you, all of you, standing around deciding my future? I am not a prize to be won. Oh, dear. Coming on to the scene saying, I am not a prize to be won. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a shame because Summer never gets an opportunity to do that. She never really stands up for herself, but we do see some negative effects from this uh, in a bit. But this does show, though, for me, why this was probably her favorite episode to film. Who wouldn't want these two men fighting over her, quite frankly? My one uh, critique of the scene, though, is something I'm really upset about is the fact that Matt is wearing a wetsuit while Slade is just wearing normal boardies. Why are you covering up, Matt? Well, it's easy for me to see this because as we as we get into their surf competition in a little bit, Slade is demonstrably better uh, than Matt, which makes sense because he is a surf pro and everything, but maybe he's more comfortable in just shorts than a wetsuit. Maybe he's more comfortable with the temperature of the water or something like that. But Matt specifically says that during the surf competition, whoever wins it, to go backwards, they're going to have the surf competition. Whoever wins whatever way they determine they win, they get to continue to date Summer and the other person has to give up. Well, they also say that they aren't going to wear their leashes for this competition, meaning the attachment from their ankle to their board. So they're increasing the danger factor quite a bit, which, you know, normally in Baywatch, they try to keep us on the safe side. So the stakes of this competition is they have to surf as close to the rocks as they can without falling. Whoever falls first loses, which for... Not being a lifeguard, this seems like a really, like, stupid thing to do when you're supposed to be about water safety. Yeah, that's really what dinged me, too. I'm like, these aren't professionals, but they're kids, too. They're, yeah. they're, you know, these are supposed to be in their late teens. And not only is it an unsafe competition, it's a really wrong-headed sort of competition. You don't compete for people's love behind their back like that. But my favorite part of the scene, though, is another reason just to completely love Jimmy Slade compared to everyone else. It's clear that it's dangerous, and he, he notes it, but Slade's actually only concerned for his board. Yeah, hey, uh, Matt, you know how much his board costs? <laughs> a very frugal, responsible young man, which, <laughs> uh, I mean, he does live in a van, so he probably has to count those pennies. So just from my own knowledge, Slade is actually not a lifeguard, right? Exactly. He's just a beach bum that just is part of, like, friends with everyone, right? Exactly. Okay. Which probably made it that much more difficult for Kelly Slater to fit in overall in the show. Like, 
what purpose does he really serve? We have Hobie, who's the son of Mitch, okay? We have Garner, who is a cop that supplements their various activities, but everybody else is a lifeguard. And trying to fit him into storylines was probably difficult. I'm happy to have him around, but... How many seasons was he on for? I believe only one and a half. Okay. So, but we'll talk more about him at some point, I'm sure. On a more populated part of the beach, though, we finally get to see Summer, the object of these men's affections, and she is jogging her ass off. She is pushing it hard. She's wearing Baywatch black, and she is very determined. There is a potential stud watch in this scene. I hesitate to give him this award because his hair is god-awful. He has this long Fabio hair, but his body is on point. And we see him a little bit later in the episode. When we see him again, I'm going to talk more about that hair. As Summer jogs and jogs, CJ follows alongside her in her truck, probably running over a sunbather or two along the <laughs> way. And she's trying to get Summer's attention, but Summer is completely focused. She she has to run. She's can't stop because apparently I just have 200 more calories to burn. So uh, CJ, I've never seen CJ mad before, but she is not having this whole situation with Summer and this exercise and not eating. You're thin, Summer. You're thin. Now will you stop worrying about it and get in the truck now? Yes, because it turns out that we're hip deep in an eating disorder storyline. A very special episode. Well, who would have known, right? Something named Tentacles. I didn't expect it. But CJ, as you say, is very serious. And she's imploring Summer that you're obsessing about your weight. You're going overboard. This isn't healthy. In fact, it turns out that CJ's already even recommended a eating disorder clinic for Summer to visit because she's that concerned about her. But Summer is not interested. CJ, though, her concerns are clearly valid, as we'll see, but she's concerned enough that she even thinks that she may be binging and purging by this point. Did you binge and purge? No. Summer doesn't really care about the concern, though. She's too focused on herself and what's going on right now, and she tries to argue that CJ doesn't understand the pressure that she's under, that the pressure that Matt and Jimmy Slate are putting her under, that she really, she has to do this in order to, I guess, bring herself up to their standards. Did you go to that clinic I told you about? Look, CJ, for the last time, I do not have an eating disorder, okay? You just don't know the kind of pressure that Matt and Slade have been putting on me. But like they are fighting over her, so I don't I don't see like how this kind of makes sense from a narrative standpoint. Adolescent love is very rarely rational, and this is clearly one of those things that's all complicated. But it's here that CJ reminds Summer, no, I I know what the pressure is like. I know what these men can do to us. Oh, I know all about the kind of pressure that men put us under. Believe me. And that is not the problem. It's not enough for Summer. Summer only is in her own head and in her own sickness. You're bulimic. I am not bulimic. And you're in denial. Oh. Summer, wake up. There are people that can help you. You could die from this. Oh. This being Baywatch, we get to watch her leave in a prolonged ass shot in, <laughs> in CJ's rearview mirror. But I thought that both actresses did a really good job on the scene. It's not often that we get to see some nice drama like this, something that matters. You know, it'll keep coming up. So the intensity continues to rise at the dick measuring contest. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, the surf competition <laughs> uh, between Matt and Jimmy. And they both surf pretty well. As I said, Slade quite a bit better than Matt, but Matt ends up careening directly into the rocks. His board flips into the sky in a cartoon fashion, and then it slides in this large crevasse and some rocks. 
Like, the way the surfboard flew off was nowhere near the rocks. It went in the opposite direction, but it somehow managed to veer and turn right into him. Luckily, Matt is uninjured, but his board's nowhere to be found. It has now found itself to this other place. It, now, was it actually this... Wasn't this Slade's surfboard? No, it was Matt's. Oh, okay. So yeah, if it was Slade's, he would have been much more concerned. Uh, Slade takes better care of his <laughs> stuff. And as we'll see, Matt's got a lot of boards. At this point, though, we're treated to some ominous shots of the interior of this, this cave system. Then weird sounds play like, like an establishing shot from X-Files or something. And the board is here in the darkness, but it's not alone. We go underneath the board and from under the water, and then and all of a sudden above the water as a single tentacle like shoots up behind the board, wraps it around it, and drags it under. The screen is filled with bubbles, and we zoom in slowly to this large blinking eye as we go into commercial break. Friendship. You mean like sharing an A&W cream soda? Uh-huh. And then winning a trip or two to Hawaii and taking your best friend? <laughs> exactly. Just send your name, address, telephone number, and proof of purchase to this address. Right. Oh, and don't forget to check under the caps of specially marked product. To win the instant win prizes? Yeah. So what are you waiting for? <laughs> I don't know. Well, look for more details wherever A&W cream soda is sold. That's easy. At A&W, the friendship continues. <laughs> This symbol outside says inside you'll find a legacy of technological leadership. The upgradable Intel 486 processor, power for today's hottest software. And the Intel Pentium processor for the next generation of compatible power. That's Intel, the computer inside. Mitch is on duty, strutting to his truck, when CJ stops him, breast first. <laughs> She's here to try and get some help with Summer. Mitch! Yeah? Can I talk to you? Sure, what's up? I'm worried about Summer. She has all the classic signs of bulimia. She, she, this is too big for her. She's reached out to Summer. She's tried to give her advice, but she's not listening. She obviously needs some bigger Big boss. Help. Exactly. And that, who's a bigger boss than Mitch? Because Mitch can do anything. Except take CJ seriously because he kind of rebuffs her here. He, he, he says, well, well, she seems to be doing fine to me. And CJ has to continue to implore him, no, I know something's wrong. And she admits here of her own struggle. Mitch, I know about these things. I've gone through it. I went through a year of hell, binging and purging. It's like being an alcoholic, but with food. Well, in Mitch's defense, CJ actually wants Mitch to pull Summer off duty because she's afraid she's going to faint from not having enough energy. And I'm afraid that's going to affect her ability to lifeguard. And Mitch is like, well, I can't just pull her off duty without like actually talking to her and like assessing it. So he's being like responsible, I guess, in a way. You're right. As you're, much as he can be. You're absolutely right. He, he, he needs to get a lay of the land before he can make a determination, especially something this serious. At the very least, CJ just begs Mitch to talk to her, to see if he can't determine if something's going on. But also, Mitch agrees to talk to specifically Matt and Slade. Oh, and do you think you could talk to Matt and Slade too? They're putting a lot of pressure on Summer. Okay. We just pull up in Slade's beat up beach bum van. That is quite a nasty, nasty van. I can't imagine what it's, well, I actually, I can't imagine what it smells like, but let's not, since we're trapped in this little closet together. And it's perfect timing. 
the boys are here to tell Mitch about their day down at Whitewater Cove and how their board disappeared. And, you know, Mitch isn't surprised. He has a whole story. He knows all about Whitewater Cove. I'm the one that told you about it. I don't know. There's some sort of undercurrent pulls the boards down into some kind of cave. Old time surfers call it the surfboard burial ground. But enough fun, boys, because Mitch is here for serious business. He's going to confront them about summer. He's going to talk to them about their treatment, about how it goes. But we don't get to see any of that because that might require some creative writing, some real effort to be made, some emotions to be played with. We cut instead to a brief scene in a random shipyard, kind of a gross shipyard, to be honest. And this is where we see our guest star, Kristen Alfonso, who played Hope from Days of Our Lives. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Not really our soap opera, either of us, wasn't my mom's. I'm sure other people listening definitely know Hope and Bo. My mom and sister watched that show, but I never caught any of it, so I don't know any of the characters. We're gonna have to look for some YouTube compilations, I'm sure, because I'm pretty sure Hope had like absolutely crazy storylines. I know she had an evil twin at, from a foreign country <laughs> at some point. So anyway, she's playing Deborah <laughs> Harris, and she's buying this skanky boat from a skanky looking fisherman. We don't even get to hear her speak though, because we cut back to Mitch and the boy at the end of their conversation. Apparently, whatever words Mitch shared with Matt and Slade seem to work. They agree that they're going to take the pressure off, that they that they aren't going to do this. Well, they also said, like, we've kind of de- decided, you know, what we're going to do because they've had their contest already. I don't think they told Mitch about the contest because that would imply they're, you know... Playing around with yeah. someone else's emotions. Yeah. Regardless, Mitch is satisfied. Every, everything is good. Apparently, all the problems are solved. And the conversation, again, could have been a good bit of television, especially on Baywatch. An opportunity for a masculine opinion about the effect that men have on women, you know? But, eh, we don't have this that. This was the yet. 90s. Exactly. Who needs seriousness? <laughs> we have tentacles to get to. And as little as we saw of the summer talk, it seems to have affected the boys just as little, to be perfectly honest, because they're already moving on to the next conversation. They're talking about plans for the next day, and they're going to go back to the surfboard burial ground. Well, I like how they said that there's no time to get it today. I mean, it is, the sun is like high noon. Like there's plenty of time to get this board today, but whatever. Wait hey, till tomorrow. Maybe they have things to do. Maybe Jimmy's going to a part-time job to pay for gas. Maybe Matt actually has to start being a lifeguard today. It would be good if any of them did anything. <laughs> but anyway, we now go to a strange prison. The saddest prison I think either of us have ever seen. A dispassionate voiceover, which lets us know that visiting hours are starting in five minutes. This is Santa and prison and Deborah Harris our guest star is meeting her convict man Brady who's played by Bo Eason a retired NFL player the only interesting note there is that Hope her character in Days of Our Lives had has had this long long ongoing relationship with a character named Bo so now you have Hope and Bo <laughs> so you know again not big coincidence or was it planned that way If they weren't doing some winking and nodding, then it's a bizarre (laughs) sequence of events that happened. Uh, Anyway, she's got one of those giant bang bumps. Like, it's as big as a football. It's gigantic on the top of her head, and she is excited to be talking with Brady. They are planning a breakout at this time. And she is obsessed with this man. Oh, yeah. They are exactly the crazy, horny mix that you see in criminal couples that were depicted back in the 90s. That... If you were way into your man, you'd be willing to slaughter whoever to, as long as you guys could keep banging. 
We cut from this disgusting prison to Jackie's summer place. Come on. The Some, happening joint. Yes, exactly. And we get to see our favorite singing mom, Jackie. She's serving food to a table of cute young things. And she's all smiles, like always. This woman loves life. And her daughter, Summer, arrives. Summer, though, I gotta talk about her outfit real quick. She's dressed exactly like Six from Blossom. Susie heard it from Lisa, who's best friends with Nancy, who goes out with Dennis's friend Robert with the bad skin, not handsome Robert. And he told Nancy, who told Lisa, who told Susie, who told me, that Dennis told the boys in the locker room that you and he had sex at the movies the other night. 100%. She's got a tight choker necklace with like this big chunky charm. Finally, the choker we talked about before. I, I told you they were coming at some point. She has a bright, pattern, floral, uh, bare midriff top, uh, teeny, tiny jean shorts, and hideous sandals. Absolutely hideous sandals. But she's got other problems that uh, Jackie is not entirely aware of at this time. Jackie immediately offers her something to eat, like a good mom does. No, no, no. Cottage cheese won't solve anything, but chocolate thunder cake? Ooh, that does it all. Come on. But... Summer's not hungry. I, I just want just a glass want of water. Give me some water. <laughs> Which is good. You gotta stay hydrated. While she, uh, I fuck some cookies. Though, yes. Lustily, she sees cookies off on a counter. She can hardly pay attention because these cookies are calling to her. The time has come for this cookie! Um, nom, 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 oh, nom, 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 Well, let me nom, tell nom. you something about these freaking cookies. This jar is open wide. You're on a beach area like they've got to get like sand and salt on them they've got to be disgusting at this point denny you read my mind that's exactly <laughs> what i thought now she, clearly she is suffering from eating disorder she has not been eating right she's ravenous at this point i'm sure she'd probably just eat a handful of sand if it looked good but i had the same thought an open container of cookies on a beach so you don't just have the sand that's in there you also have the sea air so they're probably like kind of moist in a nasty way plus again you're on a beach at a restaurant open to everyone. I am sure there is at least one used Band-Aid and possibly a bottom <laughs> wrapper in that, in that jar. It's, it's disgusting. Where is the health inspector? Exactly. Now, at this point, your, uh, your potential stud watch man shows up again. We only see the back of him with his hideous long hair. It's worse than hideous long hair. It's some sort of strange sculpted mullet <laughs> where the sides are shaved. Yes. And then, but he has a huge mane of of bleached blonde hair past his ass. I didn't notice that man until you pointed him out. Me, I instead saw the actually cute man that was there, my particular stud watch, behind Summer and her mother Jackie at this time. He is wearing a cream orange tank top and blue shorts, and uh, he's at the restaurant counter. And I really noticed him because the butt shelf, like as he turns around, like his, his shirt is nicely uh, positioned there, but not much in the way of stud watch in this episode. I, I will award the stud watch to your guy because that mullet just, it ruins everything else nice about the other guy, so. A hat could have helped, but yeah. <laughs> water under the bridge at this point now. Jackie's not a bad mom by any means. She's open, she is concerned and caring, but and she doesn't badger either. Oh, come on now, you've gotta have something to eat. Uh, let me make you a sandwich. How about today's special, huh? A tuna milk? She accepts that, okay, you're not hungry, no big deal, because we have more important things to talk about. Boys. Exactly. So fill me in, huh? How goes the saga of Matthew and Slade? What are the latest highlights? She wants to know what's up with Matt and Slade. Because we a, a previous episode we've had with Jackie. She is, she's kind of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Cougar. Not a cougar, but like boy crazy or man crazy. Yeah, she definitely, her sexual drive has not been diminished <laughs> by anything. So 
she's very interested in her daughter's life and she wants to know about these boys. The situation is very clear. Summer likes both of them and they both like her. But Summer's big concern overall, which is actually the right one, is that she's worried that their entire relationship will be destroyed by what's going on. I mean, if I choose one, then I'm going to just ruin all of our friendships. She doesn't want to lose either of them as friends because she cares about them both. But at the same time, she also cares about them quite a bit otherwise. So, you know, in a modern show, a very modern show, at least a suggestion of some sort of polyamory might come up. Like, hey, why don't the three of you do something? And quite frankly, through dialogue, I picked up a lot of that. All right, then. Don't choose. Well, there was a, a joke that, like, if she doesn't pick one of them, they'll, like, end up together, Matt and Slade. It's going to become apparent to all of you which two were meant to be together. Yeah. Which is probably going to end up being Matt and Slade. <laughs> then they're both just going to dump me. <laughs> well, maybe. I love that. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm all for that scenario. That, for one, it was very unexpected that they would even make that joke without having some man in the background make some gross face or uh. something like that. But it was very natural. And again, Jackie is fantastic. Like she, I really feel like she cares here because she gives Summer some advice. Honey, you're being silly. Avoiding both of them isn't going to make you feel any better. Sweetie, you're going to have to resolve this one way or another. Look, you're the one being pursued. Just let it happen, because naturally, things will work them, their way out, and just be honest. Ultimately, have fun, because that's Jackie's message, is yeah. quit stressing out, have fun, and realize that life goes on. You don't have to make a decision. Exactly. Now, Jackie at this point has to excuse herself to take care of some business at the restaurant, and Summer is still drooling over these cookies. They're the only thing in her world at this point. And possibly displacing that pent-up lust that she also has for Matt and Slade, she goes right over to him and just starts shoving one after another into her mouth. She went Godzilla on those cookies. Cookie! She can keep them. So we now go to Matt as he's making his way through the co-ed Baywatch locker room, which gives the producers a chance to highlight a random blonde brushing her hair in the mirror. This is obviously sometime later because Summer rushes in at the same time and Matt tries to stop talking to her. She's also wearing her lifeguard bathing suit. Exactly. So at least some time has passed mm -hmm. if it's not even the next day. And Matt's ready to say, hey, hey, Jimmy and I have come to a decision. We don't want to do this anymore, but she can't hear it. Not now, Matt. There's, she's got a dirty deed to do. She locks herself in the bathroom and she cranks the faucet as high as it'll go, as loud as it'll go. And just as she's sadly lowering her head to the toilet, she inserts two fingers in her mouth, and we thankfully fade to commercial. <laughs> a daughter fighting to survive. I want to eat. I do. I want to eat, but I can't. A family struggling to understand. There is no way that Nancy would starve herself. How far would you go? She's over 18. We can't force her. To save your child. I mean, I have to go into a courtroom and say my daughter is crazy. Tracy Gold. William Devane and Jill Clayburg. I want my life back, my daughter back. For the love of Nancy. She thought she had the perfect mother. She thought her parents had the perfect marriage. But what she saw one night shattered it all. I saw mom and John having an affair. Sins of the mother, secrets of the daughter, only on Days of Our Lives, NBC Daytime. I'd like to know why you've been so cold to me lately. This is getting good. 
The fictional Santa Inez prison looms large against the seascape. Uh, well, not really. It actually uh, doesn't do a very good job of selling itself as a prison, uh, let alone as looming or intimidating. We only see like corners of the building. Exactly. And they're quite low. We never really see any bars even or, or, or any sort of protection, which is good because we're here for a prison break. We see that Deborah is here zooming around this bay that's right nearby uh, on a very small speedboat. She also has what looks to be a Starship Trooper style machine gun <laughs> at the ready, ready to retrieve her man. And he, and Brady, he's ready. He's started his escape. He crawls, he opens a window, a sliding window and crawls out. How is there a sliding window in a prison? Well, not just that. The fact that he got to this point, like, this must be a very low security prison. Maybe he's there for tax reasons or something. I don't think we ever find out. Well, no, there was a scene uh, earlier where Garner was talking to Mitch. Oh, wait, no, this is, never mind. That's later. So, yeah, we don't know what he's in the prison for. Exactly. And apparently it doesn't matter because no one's guarding him. He sneaks his way out and he kind of like, like a cat sort of, like, jumps along these different ledges and things, making his way to an unguarded rooftop. Well, he gets to a fence and he has, like, these fence or these metal clippers that he's clipping the little holes and fences so he can crawl out. Exactly. And still, no one has seemed to notice that there's a prisoner missing. Until he gets through the fence, then that's when everyone realizes, oh, shit. Exactly. Finally, about three security guards show up. Uh, there's there's an alarm of some kind. And unfortunately, though, the water is completely unguarded, which seems to be the weak point of this particular prison. And gunshots ring out as Brady runs towards the water. And on this unguarded pier, Brady dives. Deborah is ready for him. And she starts firing madly at the guards herself. Two things. The dive was atrocious. He belly flopped. What is it with the men in the show? Like, because we've seen before a few episodes yeah. ago with, I believe it was JD. Boom, flop every <laughs> time. Like, come on, tip those toes. And then Deborah with the Starship Trooper assault weapon. Come on, you hey, You want to live forever? Like, fires it. Like, there's like no kickback whatsoever. It's obvious that it's... She's piloting the boat at the same time and she's receiving fire from the other people but everyone seems to have the the aim of imperial star troopers at this point bullets are just flying everywhere brady is able to drag himself onto the boat which by the way i don't know if you noticed it looked like it was stolen from legoland it looked like um like a carnival boat that you would like drive around in, like like bumper boats, kind of. It was tiny, and there's no way this thing had any sort of speed on it, but it even had sort of foam studs on it, like the top of a Lego. It was very, very goofy boat, but the goofiness ends because apparently at least one of these guards has taken a weekend class, and he finally decides to actually take an aim and shoots Brady, I guess, in the abdomen. Imagine that, actually aiming a gun. <laughs> you wouldn't think this was America. Brady is shot. <laughs> Somewhere. He grabs a couple different spots on his body as to, you know, wherever he may have been wounded. There's no blood, but we know it's serious, and they speed away. We fade now to Baywatch HQ, where Garner finally makes his appearance, and we, he does what he's supposed to do. He gives us the cop information about this prison escape. Let's Mitch know to be on the lookout. Mm -hmm. There is mention of a murder. They caught Brady for that, but they also assume that it, he might be taking the rap for Deborah. So we don't know at this point which one of them is the actual murderer. They have some sort of scheme cooked up. Well, she conned rich men. Once they brought her home, she'd pinpoint their valuables. She'd come in and rob them. A couple of their marks ended up dead. And 
the word is that Deborah, like you say, is the deadly one, which is a real bitch since she hadn't taken any fire. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, whatever. It must be a particularly chilly day at the beach, by the way, because the headlights are on as summer <laughs> is lost in thought. Uh, or maybe she's just zoned out because she's very hungry. Matt, though, approaches, oiled, ripped, ready to go. Matt it's, looked amazing in the scene. Yes, he really did. Like, he clearly was doing a couple, a little bit of pumps before. Yes, he, he, got, he got the pump before the scene. And the oil down. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> they hit him with the spray bottle, but it was great. Now, it's hard for me to interpret Summer and Matt's incredibly positive interaction right here as any other way than that they're open to a three-way with Slade. <laughs> because they talk about how they're all getting along and how they love spending time to each other. Why can't we just have fun, the three of us? I mean, come on. I wish I was Summer. <laughs> <laughs> I would, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be that upset myself either. So I'm gonna talk to Slade and then maybe we could all go out and do something fun. But Summer and Matt, they're ready to be friends. They naively think that it's possible, that even though all of this, because they're young and dumb, it doesn't matter because their friendship is the t paramount thing. This is the thing they're focused on. Everything seems like it's going to be good. So much so that Matt invites her along to the dive the next day. We're going to the surfboard burial grounds. Where? Just come with us. You'll see. <laughs> We return to the sketchy shipyard from earlier, and Deborah is helping the injured Brady into the belly of a boat. Everyone hangs out underneath boats. Uh, the boat is called the Retriever, yes. which I found kind of serendipitous in a way, because they're retrieving, if that makes sense, an escapee. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I put that together, because I also questioned, like, the hell do we need to see the name of the boat for? Because we saw a few, the name of it a few times. They focused on it. Oh, over and over. Yeah. It, was, it seemed, perhaps we'll learn later why it's so important, but we still can't tell exactly what's wrong with Brady. He's clearly been shot, but it really just looks like he's got some intense gastrointestinal distress, <laughs> which, you know, God bless him, I, we can all relate. But uh, just then, Mitch arrives at the shipyard. He's muttering to himself about passing off some work to Stephanie. Two wave runners in two days. It's not gonna look good on the budget report. Ah, I got it. I'll get Stephanie to sign it. <laughs> the exposition makes no sense. It was just something for him to do. I don't know. It we needed, corny to me. We needed to get Mitch here, but that doesn't matter because he catches Deborah breaking into the equipment locker of his truck. Hey! Looking for first aid supplies for Brady. Exactly. A brief struggle ensues, but Deborah has a good-sized crowbar, while Mitch, all he has is his trusty rescue can. Your rescue can is not just a life-saving device. You may need it for self-defense as well. And they're fairly evenly matched, but Deborah whips out her gun. I, well, first, like, Mitch catches her, like, breaking in, and hey. he, like, walks up to her, and she's, like, all smiles, and just, out of nowhere, just swings that crowbar at his head, and he had the reflexes of a cat, because he's Mitch Buchanan, and Dodge, they had a struggle with the can. Or maybe he was like, why is this beautiful woman giving me a smile? That's suspicious. But yeah, she's quick with that crowbar. Or did he recognize her, because he did see her file from Garner. Good point. So maybe mm. they did share some more information. Maybe there was a flash of recognition and boom, he brought up that can to protect his skull. But gun beats anything. Yes. And this is where Deborah makes some really interesting assumptions, probably far too much. She, is, she assumes that since Mitch is a lifeguard, he must be able to fix her man. Don't play games with me. I know what your job requires and you have to do the right thing no matter what the situation. So stop wasting time and save his life. And your own. 
personally, and this isn't any knock on life cards whatsoever. I mean, we're talking about them all the time now. I would not assume they knew how to help a gunshot. No, but I think it's more just basic first aid. Good point. And yeah. she's desperate at this point. Yeah, I mean, because they can't go to the hospital because he'll just go end up back in prison. I'm not going to argue with this crazed woman with a gun. Let's just go along. Now, she does mention that as a lifeguard, he's under an obligation to help as well. And I found that pretty unbelievable because in recent weeks, we've learned pretty openly that police aren't even obligated to help people. And so I started to do just a little bit of research on what, what lifeguards have to go through. Do they have to take an oath or something like a doctor? And even that's, even doctors don't really do that anymore. But no, no. lifeguards are not legally obligated to help anybody uh, or do anything. Anyway, Deborah doesn't know that. Hell, we don't know. This is the world of Baywatch. Perhaps they have a lot more responsibilities than we know about because... Uh, I think she's just more uh, playing on his morality. And it works. Yeah. And, well, probably the gun in his chest also works. And she takes Mitch to the boat. And he starts to look over Brady to try to get an idea of just how bad off he really is. And despite his many skills, Mitch tries to let her know... I, I... He's lost a lot of blood. you got to get him to a hospital. That's not an option. I'm not a surgeon. If you have that equipment, you know how to use it. So use it. Use it now. Hell, they're in the belly of this filthy boat. There's no lighting, and he's got a first aid kit. And then, also, the boat takes off, so it's now a rocking, like, in the water, moving around. So trying to take a bullet out and sewing someone up is, while the boat is swaying like that, it's probably not going to work out too well. Yeah, poor Brady. He's uh, he's in a bad way. We get to see a little bit of blood, finally. We get to see a, an injury near his belly button, you know. They don't get too close, which is good, because it's grody. But the makeup department for Mitch is working overtime because he looks like a dream boat as, <laughs> as the gun is pointed right at him his eyes are so bright popping oh absolutely his eyelashes are she knew that max factors 2000 calorie mascara would fatten her lashes but then what are <laughs> glorious it's it's beautiful i mean no wonder that like, lighting was amazing though if only we could all <laughs> be in the belly of a boat so mitch and deborah get into a duel of matching responsibilities because mitch starts to talk about his son. His name is Hobie. He's 12 years old. He needs to get back to him. Well, Deborah fires right back. I have a son, too. Oh, we have a son named Seth. And he's five years old. And his father's dying. Help him. You know, I have a life. Uh, nobody wants up me. And so the boat, as you said, starts moving, and there's no getting around it. Mitch is gonna have to dig this bullet out one way or the other. We get an exterior shot of this nasty boat coated in everything, including tetanus and all manner of things, <laughs> before we fade to a commercial. Sunday at 8, 7 central. The only place where comedy is on Fox. First, Martin gets all his friends in shape, even if it kills them. He's out of control. Twins! Martin. Then is Sinclair's new job for the birds? I'm working at the Turkey Burger Hut. Hey, has anyone asked you why you crossed the road today? <laughs> Living single. And Al gets a visit from the Grim Reaper. Please don't take me. Take somebody who deserves it like Michael Bolton. On the Married Halloween Special. It's a night of all new episodes Sunday. For the first time on television, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Monday on Fox. It must be the next morning because we come across Summer, Slade, and Matt at the beach, all prepping for their morning dive. And Slade and Matt, they're in wetsuits, but proper way of wearing the wetsuits, stripped to their waist, as they should. And uh, something's wrong with Summer, though. Summer, are you sure you're all right? She seems to be snarling, sort of, in, in, in no specific direction. She's 
clearly not all there, and Slade notices right away. He's, he's concerned, so much so that he actually suggests, hey, you should probably rest and stay behind. Better to be safe. You know, Summer's un- undaunted. She doesn't think she has an eating disorder. She doesn't think she has a problem at all. She's perfectly capable. Plus, she's here with her two best friends in the whole world. These two beautiful men, I probably wouldn't let them out of my sight either. They make their way towards Whitewater Cove. Now, to get into this cave, they actually have to go underwater and through this little opening, which begs the question, how did the surfboard get into this cave it would have to dive underwater by itself that's a good question they do some sort of experiment as i said before matt must have a couple boards because he's here with yet another surfboard a completely unique one and they specifically sort of push it towards wherever he assumed it went before and followed it somehow and yeah i guess that's how they discovered that this little cave system was there. And they go through in the suspiciously clear water. Uh, They each, one at a time, make their way through the tunnel, emerging in the previously seen creepy cave. We get the same sort of weird X-Files noises and everything that we had before. They realize the board that's not there. Exactly. But wait, all of a sudden, boom, it pops up from under the water. And then another one comes off from off screen. And then there's a third board. There's surfboards all over this goddamn place. This octopus must love surfboards. (laughs) Really. Uh, likes to hold on to them for long periods of time, too. Maybe he likes to hug things. I'm not <laughs> sure. Now, the threesome, though, are completely unaware of the sea creature. They have no idea. They're busy free diving and checking out these boards. This looks like an old 50s longboard. I mean, earlier, Mitch had even indicated that somebody previously had found, like, a, like a vintage board in there. So it's probably kind of a neat thing to look for. And who's going to expect an octopus is waiting? But it is. Uh, under the, the water. And Summer, she thinks something has touched her leg. But Matt, he ignores her. He, Just seaweed. Get over it. What's wrong with you? But no. It is a tentacle because it wraps around Summer and pulls her under, boom, in a flash. Now, in the real world, Nicole Eckert, the actor, you can see her really quickly putting her hands over her nose and mouth as she's going under. But I don't care. It looked like a fairly scary scene to, yeah. to film from my perspective. So Matt and Slade dive under after her. Matt sees all these tentacles. There's a lot of thrashing. He pulls out an ankle knife. Yes, like all good lifeguards, he is prepared. How did he know today was the day he needed an ankle knife? I don't know. We've seen him before get caught in a net. Maybe he just always has the damn thing with him at this point. He tries his best to saw at this tentacle. He's stabbing. He is going crazy. And you would you would think there'd be some goo or some blood. No, no, nothing. I will say, though, the tentacle props were really well made. They looked pretty good. I mean, unrealistically large, but really well made. Hey, who's to say? They, you know, there's giant octopus, you know? It's giant squids. I don't know about giant octopuses. No, I'm not sure, but it's, <laughs> it was large, you know? Everything's bigger in Malibu, I guess. As Matt is stabbing away, Slade is able to break Summer away, and they surface, and right behind them, Matt comes up, and he's got a big chunk of tentacle in his hand, which is a pretty cool trophy, I would say. But then he threw it away. Yeah, well, you know, maybe it's some sort of thing you come across a lot. Maybe he doesn't like seafood. But uh, they're all in the middle of regrouping, uh, and this is when Summer shares, I don't think I can make it. For one, she's starving. Two, we already saw that there was something wrong with her, and now she's just had to fight off a sea animal. It doesn't matter, though, because she's attacked again. (laughs) This octopus is mad at her. You see this tentacle rise up out of the water behind all of them? and just wrap around her again and just yank her back under. 
Exactly. And there's barely a moment for her to even gulp a mouthful of seawater, which she does. Uh, and another underwater fight has ensued. Slade, again, he's the one that rescues Summer because Matt is too busy stabbing the hell out of this octopus who has apparently now gained immunity to the blade somehow. There's just enough time for Matt to yell at Slade to get Summer the hell out of there. They need to get out before they're all dragged under and Summer's just screaming the entire time. The octopus has Matt now and Summer doesn't want to leave Matt behind but Slade, you know, is doing the responsible thing, getting her the hell out of there. Eventually she gets a relents and they go back through the cave entrance and they get out. Summer's freaking out at this point. We don't know what's happening to Matt but it's okay because a second later, Matt pops up. Completely fine. Yeah. So nothing seems to be wrong, and it looks like that octopus only stays in the cave anyway. It's not following them out, and everybody is happy. They're overjoyed, but not nearly as happy as Summer, who takes this time to declare her love for Matt. I love you! I love you so much! Which really makes me question, like, if Slade was the one with the knife, would he have been the one you loved instead of Matt? She's a little bit of a capricious girl. But, I mean... It's two good choices. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we definitely see uh, Slade looking very uh, torn because he's happy his friend's safe, but he's also forlorn that, you know, it's obvious that Summer likes him more. Yeah, he, he is seeing he's being aced out of this particular threesome. This thruple is dead before it started, and uh, poor sexy Slade. We're always there for him, though. <laughs> now, back under the rusty retriever, as it's making its way out to sea, Mitch is preparing to do his best amateur surgery. Uh, we get a bunch of slow fades and sweaty foreheads as Mitch pokes and prods inside of Brady's belly. Deborah is assisting sexily to the side, uh, and he Mitch lets her know, hey, I need both your hands here, so she even puts down the gun. Very hesitant. Yes, when we keep shooting back to that gun, is obviously that is what's the crux here. That's what's holding everything together. The scene goes on and on, as these sort of surgery scenes do. A little montage-ish. Yeah, and Mitch is able to dig out the bullet, finally. He stares at it, and then Deborah stares back at the gun, reminding Mitch that this is not over yet. We get another slow fade back to Baywatch headquarters, and to the worst news that we have gotten so far... Jimmy Slade is leaving. Were you devastated? I was wrecked. I was so upset because I remembered that uh, he had left at some point in the show, sort of like in the middle of everything, and for lots of reasons. And uh, here I was until I remembered we're watching them out of order. So we have all the other episodes <laughs> of Jimmy Slade to get to. It is still sad, though, because he's not just leaving Baywatch. He's going all the way to Hawaii. In his van. That's a very good uh, point. How is he? How is this... Poor young man going to get all the way to Hawaii with his van. Who knows? It doesn't matter because he's made his decision. And really, who could blame him? His supposed best friends, Matt and Summer, are on hand to say, hey. Come on, Slade. Don't go to Hawaii, man. Stay here. But they're together. They're wrapped up arm in arm. It's just pushing Jimmy all the way further. Like, this is the right decision. I, I need to get out of here. You two belong together. I mean, hell, they're basically rubbing in his face. Yeah. So, you know, he, he's a good sport about it, though. Yes. Uh, Slade's, uh, he, he's going to move to the North Shore of Hawaii just for the summer. I guess just surf and bum around there. Again, how he gets that van there, 
God knows. <laughs> we do get some great shots of the van here and specifically the painting that's on the side of it because no, you can't live in a van unless you have an airbrush painting on the side. And this one reminds me a lot of the Land of Lakes logo. Okay. Right? Yeah. yeah. Or uh, the little Hiawatha uh, Disney cartoon. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very generic, tranquil scene of mountains and a lake and there's birds in the sky and a silhouette of a Native American on like a little canoe in the front. You know they took off the Native American from Land of, Land of Lakes? Yes. Now it's just nobody's there. It's kind of like It's just lakes. <laughs> uh, Summer gives Slade this half-hearted hug. Uh, from my perspective, it seems like she's fine with Jimmy leaving, to be perfectly honest, because now she's got Matt. Her decision's made, and hell, maybe she's had a sandwich in the intervening time here. That hug, it's all the more shameful when you see Jimmy and Matt hug, because that is a real bro moment. They, they hold each other. There is, there is emotion there between them. They have a bond. They're gonna miss each other. See you later. All right. Mm-hmm. There's some genuine emotion. To be honest, this is more emotional acting that we've seen from Jimmy Slade in the two previous episodes. But anyway, no shame given. I'd be completely despondent if Jimmy <laughs> Slade was leaving me. And all I was left with was Summer. My God, I would never let him go. Summer is ready to skip away with her new man, uh, but Matt continues to stare a little longer as Jimmy drives away. Uh, The new couple eventually make their way to the shoreline. They're laughing uh, hand in hand. You know, they're going to have a good time now. As inexplicable as it might seem, Summer's brush with death as a meal for a sea creature, it's reframed her whole outlook on food. Oh, just thinking about almost being that octopus's dinner has made me look at food in such a different way. In what way? I don't know, just different. (laughs) All she needed to do was to almost be killed and eaten alive. She is now ready to go to the eating disorder clinic that CJ had previously recommended. She wants Matt to join her. Which sounds like a fun date, huh? Yeah, but he's he's supportive. Which is the way you should yeah. be. I, I, first, I'd be like, wait, you have an eating disorder? <laughs> we haven't talked about this before. Matt doesn't seem bothered by much, yeah. which, which is nice. I could pray for that level of anxiety, but he agrees. Yeah. They're going to go together. But it would really mean a lot to me if you were there. Then that's where I'll be. They kiss, and we pull away. And you would think the story's over, but wait, we have a thread still dangling. Mitch is still aboard the retriever, and he's now sewing up Brady's stomach wound. But Mitch and Deborah are arguing about what's going to happen, and Mitch asks if they've gone too far for any sort of redemption. You know, he, it's Mitch, so he thinks the best of people. Yeah, these are terrible criminals that have taken me hostage, and one got shot escaping from prison, but they're still people. And this doesn't have to go as bad as it has to, but the implication just hangs in the air as Deborah moves closer. Gun in hand, pointed right at Mitch, and in tones. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. And for the first time on Hot Red Shorts, we fade to next time on on Baywatch. Yes, but this is the end of our episode. Denny, what did you think about Baywatch Tentacles Part 1? It was interesting. You had a few plot lines, but like you had like this very special, like serious topic, eating disorders, put into this situation with a a ridiculous (laughs) octopus. encounter yeah it's just it seems odd for that kind of story to be put with something a little bit ridiculous like that they didn't seem to mesh no i mean they didn't seem we know they didn't mesh like an animal attack versus meme disorder 
Okay. I was joking that the octopus was trying to eat her, but there was never really any indication of that. Or, or you know, maybe even a shark attack would have made slightly more sense. Uh, but it was nice to see them talk about something important and something that probably was affecting a lot of people watching Baywatch. And especially that time period, too. I'm glad that you said that because at this time, eating disorders were sort of the cause of the moment. In, in this time in 1993. At the same time, speaking of days of our lives, there was a character named Sammy who was struggling with bulimia. And that was a fairly big storyline throughout that period of that show. Princess Diana actually had revealed in her autobiography that she had suffered from bulimia for years and years, which helped bring it out into the fore. Yes, people are dying from eating disorders. Yet all of us can help prevent the seeds of this disease Developing. And then earlier in 1993, actress Tracy Gold, did you ever watch Growing Pains? A little bit, yes, mm -hmm. and I knew about that, exactly. her issues. Yes, it was at that time that she came out with her struggles with bulimia, and she spoke openly about what she went through. You know, she was on a major sitcom, she had so much focus, and her character was specifically made fun of all the time about her weight. Matter, I'm not fat enough for you? Oh, no, no, you're plenty. No, you, come on, you know what I mean. And that led, well, Maybe it didn't lead to her eating disorder, but it obviously exacerbated it quite a bit. And in 1984, she starred in a made-for-TV movie called For the Love of Nancy, where she dramatizes her struggles. And I remember that movie vividly. In particular, she has a lot of Tupperware that she keeps in her room filled with evidence. Uh, and it's apparently that's one of the things that... Like vomit? Yes. Eee. Because of d disposing of yeah. it, more or less. Uh, it's really great. It's on YouTube. I, I recommend it. And there was even more stuff. In May on Blossom, there was a very special episode where Blossom was worried the six was, you know, now having an eating disorder. So they brought over a new friend that we never saw before, never saw again, uh, to talk about her past with bulimia. And then on Beverly Hills 90210, Kelly was starting to suffer from. Do you guys think maybe she has anorexia or uh, bulimia? Was anybody seen her binge, throw up, anything like that? I haven't. What about you, Donna? No, me either. Well, an addiction to diet pills, but still, it was specifically related to body image and eating disorders. And then, strangely enough, Bill Nye the Science Guy, which had just started earlier in 1993, the week that this episode aired, aired an episode about digestion. So it was it was all over the place. I remember the Full House episode about DJ going through, like, uh, weight issues. That was a few years earlier. Okay. But yeah, yeah, I remember that, too. She was pretty young when mm -hmm. she was doing it. It definitely was in the air. I remember people talking about it a lot. In school, I remember there being lessons about it on television, obviously. I mean, I'm thankful. As men, we really don't have to deal with it as much, but that's really de-emphasized because these eating disorders impact anyone that has a self-image. And in, in research, I mean, it actually affects men quite a bit. But anyway, on Baywatch, it was nice that they talked about this. It was especially nice that a main character like Summer was going through the struggles and showing at least some of some of the action, some of the impact on the people around you, but also that Pamela Anderson, mm -hmm. that CJ was able to speak out about it because she was, she was clearly the biggest star at that time, but also the pressure that she spoke of was real. There's no question that these ladies 
were going through intense scrutiny at all times, particularly since they had to run around in bathing suits constantly. Exactly. And compare themselves to one another. Like we talked about Stephanie before, she got all of this both gentle and also direct pressure to change her body. And to be able to bring yourself up above that is obviously very difficult. Anyway, they, at least they brought it up, yeah. you know? All in all, it was a good episode. Uh, they talked about important issues. You know, there was some exciting scenes with the octopus fight for the 90s. I think the octopus looked really good. Like you said, the tentacles looked good. I thought once we didn't get that much of the body of it, but the bits that we did, it looked pretty convincing. Yeah, that part was probably the real octopus, but like everything else obviously was fake. And then like, you know, it leaves off on a cliffhanger with Mitch. We don't know like where that's going to go. And was this the first two-part episode of no. the series? Okay. No, no, no. I'm pretty sure they had at least one two-parter in every single season, okay. if not more. This is just the first time we're encountering it. it it's going to be interesting to see if at all the tentacle part bleeds into the second part of the episode well it has I, I imagine it has to because it's literally called tentacles 2 you would hope so but it's also baywatch but back to this specific episode the the really sad news is kelly slater this is his last episode of baywatch uh the good news like i said is that since we're watching them out of order we got more jimmy in our future you know it's still a sad thing and a sad way for him to leave the show basically his heart's broken and so he, there's no place for him anymore in real life kelly slater was never comfortable on baywatch he didn't even really want to be on it in the first place i believe it was his manager that was like hey you need exposure you're going to go on this show. And he reportedly clashed with the producers all the time, specifically about the scripts and how lame they were. <laughs> and he just, while he might not be the most energetic actor, he's not an idiot. He could read what was on the page and see what was being produced. And it's very lightweight stuff. And that's kind of why it's fun. But I can see, especially if you're trying to start a career, hey, I'm going to be an actor. You want to act in something substantial, not just... Did he act in anything else? No. Okay. No, I, I'm pretty sure that this experience kind of turned him off from the whole thing. And, and really, his, his stock and trade is surfing. Right. He's, he's a major surfer, and hey, that's what he does best. So, uh, anyway, on a slight note, though, now, Kelly Slater, last episode here, many years later, between 1998 and 2000, uh, Kelly Slater and Pamela Anderson actually dated. Really? Yes. So, they must have met on the show, and then hooked up a couple years later. So she's dated two guys that were on the show that we know about? Yes, that we know of. Yes, which honestly, you know, they're... Uh, I don't think you were necessarily saying anything negative, but there could... No, no. Yes. But, like, I just... I know about David... Uh, Chavert. Chavert. Or I thought it was Chokichi. Hey, I'm David Chokichi. No, he... he David Chokichi. 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 And she did not date. Apparently... From what I remember reading is that she had to tell Tommy Lee that David Chokichi David Chokichi was gay because CJ and David Chokichi's character were dating on the show and Tommy Lee was getting jealous. Exactly. Okay. But who wouldn't get jealous of anyway? I believe she she may have even I don't know. I, I can see though, if I were on a show full of guys like hell, if I was in a show at all, you spend a lot of time with these people, you're probably gonna end up hooking up with, if not dating your coworkers in those situations. But especially if you're running around half naked all the time, <laughs> showing off the goods, you probably want to sample them at least once or twice. But but anyway, it was a weird episode. Not satisfying in a in a in in a lot of ways in regards to this cliffhanger. I don't care about the cliffhanger. Obviously, nothing's going to happen to Mitch. This is but Mitch. Yeah. Mitch is going to save the day. And, and quite frankly, there's not really 
that much tension left in the scenario. All it is is Mitch is now at gunpoint and somehow has to get out of the situation. I think it probably would have been served better if the cliffhanger happened while Mitch is performing his amateur surgery and that there's the worry that I'm going to kill you if my man dies. And so then Mitch has some pressure that when we will go on hell, also, if maybe that the cliffhanger happened at the same time that they were fighting the octopus under the water. Or that, you know, when Summer and Slade left the cave and left Matt, not knowing his how he fared. That would have been great. If yeah. we cut from Summer outside the cave screaming to Mitch getting screamed at under the boat, and they said, next time on Baywatch. But, yeah. Eh, it was a long time ago. We didn't write this show. Uh, <laughs> we should have. Well, there would have been a lot more man-to-man action. A lot less wetsuits. <laughs> That's true. At least fully put on. That's true. So, what would you give this, Danny? I would give this seven octopus rolls out of ten. Mostly because, you know, the cliff, all the tension is pretty much gone at this point. But they did talk about some serious issues. And it was kind of exciting with you know, the whole octopus attack, so. I think it's definitely worth watching. It's breezier than some of the other episodes, even though nothing connects to one another. And there's some serious topics alongside some goofy stuff. It's kind of a fun watch. Mm. And you talk about the tension being drained out. Well, the next time on ratchets that back up because we get to see at least a taste of what's going to happen. So Stephanie finally makes the scene. Our favorite is going to be in the next episode. And we see her saving someone from rough surf. And that someone, who does it turn out to be? Did you, could you not see? I do know that there is, since, you know, they had one character leave the series, they're bringing in another one. I know who the other person is. Well, it's Caroline, her little sister. We can just see this from right there. And she even says, oh, sister, or whatever. And bigger than that, she's here to announce that she's getting married. Caroline is way into matrimony. Uh, then we see three scuba divers fighting it out, one having their breathing equipment forcibly removed, and then we see the same diver in a hyperbaric recompression chamber, right? And then that guy, it turns out, that's Caroline's new fiancé. And Stephanie, though, these are all quick clips. She's suspicious, so suspicious that somehow she ends up hanging from her fingertips over jagged rocks hanging off a balcony. <laughs> Mitch is now handcuffed under the boat, and Brady is awake... Finally, Garner's going to get something to do because he and CJ are on a scarab together. Where are they going? What are they doing? We don't find out before Brady fires his gun, Mitch falls, and they fade to black. So no tentacles oh. in the previews. And I'm guessing that there aren't going to be any tentacles, metaphorical or otherwise. But we get Stephanie and Caroline and yeah. a hyperbaric chamber. Yeah, we get introduced to Yasmin Bleeth. Yes, yes. We can't wait. <laughs> she, she quickly has become another favorite. So one thing, though, um, Caroline's fiance, it wasn't Jason Simmons, right? This is a completely new man. Okay. Stephanie and Caroline, uh, they go through them quite quickly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, things happen. I mean, maybe he dies at the end of the, this next episode. That's true. Mm -hmm. We have something to look forward to. So <laughs> we, have lots of, we have someone dying to look forward to. I'll take what I can get. <laughs> So that has been Baywatch Season 4, Episode 6, Tentacles Part 1. And we will talk about Tentacles Part 2 next time. This has been Hot Red Shorts, a gay watch of Baywatch. I have been Josh. I'm Denny. And please visit our website, hotredshorts.com, where I post 
all of our trading cards that we make for each episode. I try to pull uh, some funny segments. I always put our stud watch out there. And I, if there's any other pertinent information that we've talked about, clips perhaps, uh, from these other sitcoms that we mentioned or whatever, I'll, I'll put them on there. Also, you can find us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, Hot Red Shorts. We're out there. Please check us out. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.